chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. You guys, most of you have been with us for the book of Romans so far. You know that chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul revealed to us our unrighteousness. Right? How unworthy we are. And our unrighteousness, according to these chapters, Romans chapters, the end of Romans chapter 1 through 3, our unrighteousness requires God's wrath because he is righteous. If he didn't punish us for our unrighteousness, that would make him unrighteous, right? Paul threw us under the bus. Chapters 1, verse 18, all the way through 3, verse 20. And then this glorious transition, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul began revealing a righteousness apart from the law. He's made it very clear, look, you're not going to be able to be righteous on your own through the law, but God has a way to make you righteous apart from the law. There's a way that God has provided that we can be saved not by achieving our own righteousness, but by receiving the commodity of God's righteousness. And so far through chapter 4, Paul has proved that that's exactly how both Abraham, the, the father of the faith of the Jewish nation, and David, the, the guy that we think of as supremely righteous, Paul says, look, the way both of them were justified, just as if they'd never sinned, was through a righteousness apart from the law. It was not a condition that they achieved on their own, but it was a commodity that they received from God. Not, uh, not by trying real hard, but by trusting God. Not by grit, but by grace. Not by rules or ritual, we've seen, but by relationship. Not a feat that we can achieve on our part, but it's an accounting feat that God does on his part. Remember that? The word accounting or accounted or imputed? The word in the Greek is logizomai. Remember, eight times in the first ten verses of chapter four. Accounted, logizomai. That is, God credited Abraham's account with his own, that is, God's own righteousness. God looked at Abraham and went, you believe I'm going to now put into your bankrupt account righteousness. Now, what did Abraham do to deserve this? He achieved nothing. No, it was he believed and therefore just received it. Verse 13 is where we left off. For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Faith. That is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, the title of the message is, by faith. We've been looking at how God accounts to us uh, his righteousness. And this is the, the one little thing, I guess you could say, that we do, which is we just believe. Tonight is all about faith, but listen, this is really important. This is not faith in faith. This is not wishful thinking. This is not when you wish upon a star... Your dreams come true. That's fantasy land. That's goofy. Get it? Goofy. The only way that this works is not by trusting faith, 
not by trusting something, trying to fool yourself into believing something. No, it's by trusting God and what he says, believing what God says and then doing what he says because you believe him. I'm going to give you four things tonight by way of outline. First, we're going to look at the faith of Abraham. As opposed to the works of Abraham, we're going to see that. Then number two, we're going to see that faith assures. Faith brings, as we sang tonight, blessed assurance. Three, we're going to see faith applied. We're going to see a little bit more how faith works. Okay, And then lastly, we're going to be reminded that faith is accounted righteous, righteousness. So first, Paul continues on with this theme, the faith of Abraham. Again, as opposed to the works of Abraham. Paul is very clear. He says, don't think that it was the rule keeping or the ritual that made Abraham accounted righteous. Verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham received not because he achieved, but because he believed. If, that, if you're still not buying it, notice the word there, heir. What is an heir? Somebody who receives something only because they are a son or a daughter. It's not by ritual or rule keeping, but once again by relationship. Now before we move on to verse 14, maybe you are, hopefully over these last few weeks, you're beginning to understand a little bit more about God's grace, okay? But chances are there's somebody in the room at least that you still think, or maybe even though you don't think, you act like God's love for you depends on how you behave. That when you're bad, God loves you less. Or when you're good, God loves you more. Please pay attention to verse 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs... Faith is made void. The word void is emptied, useless. Faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. Uh, Of no effect means idle, inoperative, powerless. He says, look, if righteousness comes by keeping the law, if only those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void. Now, for most of us, probably when you think of the word void, One picture that pops to your head is when you void a check. When you void a check, you are basically, you write across the top and says, this is no longer good. I made a mistake. Please don't try to cash this. Right? This is no longer good. There's a mistake or I changed my mind. Paul says, look, if the promise is only for law keepers, rule keepers, then God needs to write void across all of the righteousness accounted to Abraham. Because guess what? Did you think about this? The promise that was given to Abraham. Remember last Sunday. How many were here last Sunday? Okay. Remember how we pointed out that the promise that was given to Abraham was two chapters before the circumcision, right? The relationship came two chapters before the ritual. Uh, I learned some more this week that that adds up to about 14 years. Now, follow me. The relationship came 14 years before the ritual, right? Guess how long it came before the rules, that is the Ten Commandments? 430 years. 
The relationship that God entered into with Abraham when God said, I'm going to count you righteous, happened, according to Galatians, 430 years before the rules even existed. Verse 15, because the law brings about, about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Word transgression, it means to go over or to step over the line. Paul says, look, law always brings punishment because apart from the law, you haven't stepped over any line. Hopefully this will make sense, make it more clear for you. I think, if any of you been to, to Germany anytime recently, okay? Uh, is, the, is the Autobahn still without speed limit? Yeah? Okay. So... I didn't want to give false facts here. But hopefully then, that this is true. When you go over there, if you go over there today, right, drive the Audubon, you can go 125 miles an hour. And guess what? Not breaking any rules. <laughs> but let's say that tomorrow, early in the morning, the, they've just changed the law and they've set up the sign. And now it's 55 miles an hour. And you go blazing through. Guess what? The law brings wrath. Brings punishment. See, Paul says, look, Abraham believed God 430 years. He believed 430 years before he behaved the commandments. Before he could possibly behave the commandments. He was flying 120 miles an hour, right? If you want to make God's promise contingent upon your behavior... You would, write, you would force God to write void across the righteousness that he gave to Abraham before the law even existed. Okay, but here's the truth. 430 years before the law even existed, Abraham believed God, not behaved according to God's law that didn't exist yet, and God, it says, accounted it to him for righteousness. Paul's first point is this. God's promise to Abraham was not contingent upon him keeping the law couldn't have been because it didn't even exist okay not on behaving but on believing so number one we've seen the faith of abraham and this was paul's just another another chance that he's getting to say look it's about believing and not necessarily behaving of course we want to behave but we want to behave in response to his goodness his graciousness to us okay next number two faith we've seen the faith of abraham number two faith assures Faith brings blessed assurance. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now take out the parentheses, the parenthetical statement there, who is the father of us all in the presence of him whom he believed. In other words, God looks at Abraham and see, says, okay, you're the father of the, the Jews who believe, and you're also the father of all of these folks here at Calvary Chapel tonight. We are the children, that is, if you believe Jesus, if you believe in Jesus. We are Abraham's children by faith. That's one of Paul's points here. But the, I think the most important word here in verse 16 is sure. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be Sure. Word sure means stable, fast, firm, immovable. Now, I hope that you get this. this it's having, I'm having a, a day where I'm like, I hope I'm communicating this well. But 
Paul is saying that God's way of salvation, his chosen way, which is faith, right? Think about this. It is awesome because it is immovable. It is based on his promise, which never changes. It's not based on our performance, which changes every few minutes, it seems like. I know this will be a shock to some of you, but I still sin. You don't sound shocked. I still fall short. My performance is hit and miss at best. One day I may do great. I may be really feeling good about how I'm living. Guess what? I'm filled with pride probably at that point. Right? I might be thinking to myself, I am definitely saved. Just look at my performance. The next day, you could probably ask me, I don't know if I'm saved, because just look at my performance. If I'm looking at my performance, it will always be hit and miss. It will not be sure, steady. If I rely on my performance to get me in good graces with God, I promise you I will be a basket case. If instead I rely on God's promise and not my performance, I have blessed assurance, just like my father Abraham. After all, it is God, at the end of verse 17, it says, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as they did. Paul's point here is, hello, God is able to do the impossible. He does it every single day. He gives life to the dead. He brings dead things to life. And then it says he declares things into existence. He speaks them into existence. Thinks Genesis. Things that never were as though they He speaks things as though they did, which do not currently exist. I can base my relationship then with God on my performance or his promise. I can base it on my performance or I can base it on the promise of the one who the Bible says gives life to the dead and calls things into existence from nothing. I don't know about you, but for me, that makes me think of Lazarus. Jesus calling at Lazarus' tomb, Lazarus, come forth. What's he doing? Well, he's give, giving life to the dead and calling those things which do not exist as, they, as though they did. Remember, Lazarus was dead, right? Four days, so much that his sister's like, uh, Lord, he stinketh, right? I know you've heard me say this before, but in the... Munchkin's theological terms, he's really quite sincerely dead. Jesus, with those three words, though, Lazarus, come forth, he what? Gave life to the dead, and he called that which did not exist, which is life in, in Lazarus, into existence. I don't know if, you, if you're getting it, but do you see how faith brings assurance? Faith, if you really get it, if you understand that your relationship with God does not depend upon you, but upon Him, you have great assurance because, yes, He's never failed. He is able to do anything, including bring life out of my dead, sorry carcass to... He can call me righteous. 
even though as I look at my own self, I'm like, I'm not righteous. He looks at me and says, guess what? I know the end from the beginning. I am able to declare you righteous and make it so. So we've seen the father of Abraham. We've seen that faith assures. Here's probably we get to the nuts and bolts of it. Ready? We're going to see faith applied. This is what Abraham's experience in faith looked like. Okay? It's kind of like Paul in verse 17 says, let me tell you a story. It all started with a man named Abram. Abram. You know what the word means? The, the name? Exalted Father. Only one problem. Abram's about 90 years old. No kids. Can you imagine being named Exalted Father? Every time you, you come to church, somebody new at church, or you go to a party, hey, what's your name? Abram? Oh, wow, what's that mean? Exalted Father? Awesome. How many kids do you have? <laughs> Gotta go. Got to run. How embarrassing. How many times do you think he was tempted to go, God, would you just please give me some kids? Genesis seventeen fifteen is what's quoted here. God speaking to Abram says, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, you guys know, most of you, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, right? Think about that, that moment when that happened. Abram's been embarrassed all of his, you know, for all of his life now, years and years. Finally, God says, okay, the time has come. I'm going to change your name. Thank you. I've been so embarrassed, you know, exalted father. What are you going to change my name to? Abraham. What's that mean? The father of many nations. <laughs> at, at that point, Abraham had a choice. Trust in the way things looked or trust in the God who is able to make dead things turn to life. The God who is able to speak things into existence. He was either going to trust his circumstances and his own body we're going to see or trust God's spoken word. Verse 18, it says, of Abram, who contrary to hope, that is against all circumstantial evidence, contrary to hope, in hope believed, that is, in, he was in the state of hope, he believed, who contrary to hope believed that he, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, not according to how he felt, or according to the outward circumstances. But according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Go back to that same scene. God speaking to Abram says, I'm going to change your name. Okay, what's it going to be? The father of many nations. Abraham's okay. And Abraham now is a hundred years old. And God promised that he would not just be exalted father, but he would be the father of many nations, not just Israel, but even, look, ethnos, the Gentiles. God says, look, let me illustrate for you. Go out of your tent, look up at the stars. Okay, are you able to count those stars? That's how many descendants you will have. So shall your descendants be. So God has now promised Abraham with his own lips. Okay, Abraham's not just believing in belief. He's not going, 
I want this to happen, so I'm just going to believe it. No, he's believing what God has promised. But now Abraham has a a choice. What's he going to do? What will he focus on? And here it is, guys. Will he focus on on his own ability to perform or God's ability to perform what God has promised? If he chooses his own ability to perform, if he decides, okay, I'm going to just trust and I'm going to somehow make this happen on my own, which, by the way, he did with Sarai, didn't he? That didn't work out so good. If he chooses the former to trust his own ability to perform, good luck with that. Verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He had a choice. Who is he going to believe? His own body or the word, the faithful word of the Lord he had grown to trust? Imagine this, verse 19 again, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He did not, the word consider is to focus upon. He did not focus on his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. Now, we know he wasn't actually dead, right? But Paul's going, hello, reproductive system, pretty much dead, right? His own body was already dead in that way and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Imagine. They probably still do it. I haven't seen it in a a long time. But there's one of the morning shows where they have that little segment on centenarians. Hundred-year-old folks, right? Is it Al Roker? What? Willard Scott. Is he still still doing his thing? Okay, Willard Scott. He's probably a hundred himself. Imagine Willard Scott then. He says, hey, we're on location today. And we're visiting this beautiful couple there's abe a hundred years old and his his lovely wife sarah 90 and willard says what a cute couple hey i got a question for you abe begins to interview him hey if you're around this time next year do you have any special plans to celebrate your 101st birthday yep me and the little missus plan to have a little one by then Willard says, uh, we're going to pause for commercial break while we get Abraham's medication. <laughs> Abraham's body, reproductively, by all accounts, apparently even by his own, was dead. Really quite sincerely dead. Sarah's womb, dead. Lisa calls the womb, she calls it the baby condo. Sarah's baby condo had been condemned long ago. Abraham's body, dead. Very dead. Sarah's womb, dead. It says, but he did not focus on those things, not being, it says, weak in the faith. Check this out. The word weak means feeble, without strength, powerless, uh, a doddering old man. Do you get this? What, he's, what they're saying is, look, he, what Paul is saying is, look, his physical body was weak. His physical frame was weak, but he was not weak in the faith. 
Not being weak in the faith, he did not consider or focus on his own body. That is, to consider attentively, to fix his mind upon his own body. He did not focus on his own body that was already dead. Check this out. The word nekru is dead, to make dead, to put to death. But guess what else it means? If you look in the Blue Letter Bible, it also says worn out or of an impotent old man. It says he did not look at his body, which he's like... I'm all worn out. He did not focus on his own weakness. He did not focus on his inability to perform, but he focused on God's ability to perform what God promised. Application tonight. I know some of you, even again, I spoke with some of you before, before the... Uh, the... the uh, Sermon started here. And I know of, of many folks here who you're just going through things. And you're, some of you physically, your bodies are giving out. What it seems to me, one application that all of us could take is, am I focusing on my, my own weakness? That would be my physical weakness or my mental weakness. Maybe it's financial weakness, whatever it is. Am I focusing on that or am I focusing on his strength which he has promised to perform? Verse 20, he did not waver. Interesting again, all these words point to a, a, a man who's just barely able to even stand. He did not, the old King James says, stagger. He did not stagger at the promise of God through unbelief. So, Paul's painting this picture. You picture an old man. He's not staggering as you might expect, but instead he is standing firm in the area of faith. Um, the word waver also means diacrino. It means to doubt, to oppose, to dispute. In other words, another way to put it, he did not argue with God. How often do we argue with God because the circumstances don't match what he is telling us or promising us or expecting of us? He did not waver, argue, stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Strengthened, it's in dynamo, which is where we get the word dynamo. It means empowered. Now, David Guzik, a pastor that I listen to and, and try to glean from, he makes a great point here that I want to share with you guys tonight. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but don't forget that this was not with Abraham and Sarah. This was a miraculous conception, but it was not an immaculate conception. Let me put it this way. Abraham and Sarah did not just believe God and do nothing. They had to do something. You know what I mean? Here's the point. Here's the point. Faith is not passive. Faith does require us doing things. Okay? Often faith requires us doing things that seem stupid or goofy or illogical or especially impossible. This is how this ties in. Maybe some of you have looked and you're like, how can Paul say that that?" It's all of faith and grace and it's not of works. But James says, wait, faith without works is dead. How can that be in the same Bible? 
This is how it is in the same Bible. James' admonition fits in right here. That faith without works is dead. In other words, if you, you can say you believe God, but if you don't believe God enough to do what he tells you, then faith without works is dead. Faith without works, without doing what God tells you to do, is dead. Faith is believing God and then doing what he tells you to do. So, there was a night when 100-year-old Abraham said to 90-year-old Sarah, How you doing? I don't know how else to put it. Faith requires action. Here's the point. I'm glad it's funny, but here comes the... Here, he's going he's gonna to lower the boom on you here. Some of you, maybe all of us in different areas, you want desperately for God to do the miraculous. Could it be he's asking you, he's telling you, you need to do the impossible. You need to step out and do that which seems impossible. Maybe you want desperately for God to bring your dead marriage back to life. You have to do that which he's telling you to do. You can't just say, Lord, you work it out. Maybe if he's giving you specific directions, you have to do. Your faith needs to show itself by doing. Makes it make sense? Um, maybe you're asking God every day to bring purity into existence in your life where it does not exist. You have to do what he tells you. If it's throw this out or cut this off, you have to do it. Maybe you're asking God to bring your finances from death into life. And you look and you go, I can't tithe. God says, do this. Test me. It's doing. It's not just saying, okay, God, you're going to work it out and I'm going to do nothing. It's, okay, God, I trust you. What do you want me to do? And when you do that, Faith is not passive. It's believing God enough to do what he tells you to do. Verse 21, And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, that's the thing. That is the crux of faith. That It's not like God, or excuse me, not like Abraham pulled anything off in his own strength. But he believed God enough to say, Okay, you promised it. You're going to perform it. Right? So I'm going to have this really awkward conversation with my wife, and well, there we go. See, that is the crux of faith. Faith applied. Being fully convinced that what God promises, He is able to perform. Not that you're able to perform, but that He is able to perform even when He asks you to do the impossible. Being convinced enough to step out in faith and look foolish if necessary. That is faith applied. And that brings us to our last uh, A. We, we've seen these other things, but now faith is accounted. Very familiar now uh, since we've been in Romans chapter 4 for a while. Matter of fact, let's do that again. Every time we've done it so far, 
When you guys see the word accounted, you guys say credited. Or when you see imputed, you say credited. Okay? So I'll read the, the word and pause and then you say credited. And therefore it was accounted credited to Abraham for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed credited to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed credited to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham believed God. Chapter 15, right? Of Genesis chapter 15. And it says, we saw it last time, God credited it to him. He put it in his account under righteousness. Okay? Paul is now tying all of this together. And what he says in in verses 23 and 24 is, look, why do you think God took the time in Genesis chapter 15, to tell, to write it down for all of history. And God looked upon Abraham's faith and accounted it or credited it to him as righteousness. Why do you think that he put that in there? Was it just for Abraham's sake? So that Abraham could look at the rest of us over all of the years and go, ha, I got mine, good luck with yours. No, it was so we would know this is how God does things. This is how he saves people, is by faith. See, this was not for Abraham's sake alone. No, justify, justification by faith, that is just as if I had never sinned, by faith is for all of us. That's uh, Paul's point here. Abraham believed God could raise the dead. Abraham believed that God could Call that which does not exist yet into existence. And what Paul is saying is, look, that's, that's what you and I believe too, isn't it? That God could raise you a condemned sinner. You're already dead in sin. You were born dead. That God has the ability to raise you from that state into life. And that God has the ability to call that which right now you look at yourself, I am not righteous. He says, I'm calling you righteous. And watch, watch me pull this off. That is faith applied. Okay? God can raise you, though you are dead in your sins. He can declare you righteous, though you are far from it right now. Positionally, God says, no, I'm declaring you righteous and I've accomplished it. Okay? Verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And that is... Just one more reminder of exactly what it is that God's accomplishing here. It's a holy swap, right? That is, it shall be accredited to us, verse 24, who believe in God, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. And then it says, this Jesus, our Savior, was delivered up. Why? Because of your sin. It's that holy swap. And he was raised because of our justification. He was handed over, delivered up to be punished in our place, right? But thankfully it does not stop there. He was raised to prove that that punishment was sufficient. It was paid in full. So that it says he was raised because of our justification to prove that I am just as if I'd never sinned. Okay? Though you are as impotent, listen, as impotent as in your own righteousness as, God, as Abraham was. The point of all of this is that God is able to perform that which he's promised to do. 
either he, he promises it and it depends upon him ultimately, or he promises it and it depends upon you, which I'm thankful is not the case. God is able to pay for your sins. God has proven it through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your